This podcast is presented by Convergence, a magazine for radical insights. If you think back to your first job, what were you told to prepare you for that job? If I think back to my story, what my mother said to me was keep your mouth shut and your head down because she didn't want me to get fired, right? And other people would say, you know, I was told to be on time, to pay attention, things like that. We are taught how to be good employees for the employer. But who teaches you how to stand up for yourself when your employer is being disrespectful? Who teaches you how to stand up for your rights? That's right, it doesn't happen. Black worker centers do that. Welcome to Black Work Talk, the podcast voice of Black workers, leaders, activists, and intellectuals exploring all the connections between race, capitalism, labor, and culture in the struggle for democratic, progressive governing power. I'm your host today, Jamala Rogers. And while my co-host, Bianca Cunningham, is unfortunately not able to be with us, we are going to have a wonderful, powerful show. I'm happy to have with me a person that is very uh, familiar with Black workers' struggles, and that's none other than the executive director of the National Black Workers' Center, Tanya Wallace-Goldburn. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jamala, for having me. It's my pleasure. It's always great to be in your company. Thank you. So we're going to just start right off with talking about like how the Worker Center came about, about because I'm, I'm remembering um, our dear friend Steve Pitts when he was at UC Berkeley uh, Labor Studies, and I attended some of, some of the convening of Black workers, which eventually led to the formation of the, the National Center. So that's a little foggy in my head because he was there for 20 years and I don't know which part of the 20 that, that he was convening those, but I'm just really trying to make sure our audience knows that it didn't just drop out the sky. So talk a little bit about how the formation came about and um, what's involved with it now. What's the scope of the work that you all are doing? Sure, happy to do so. And let me just preface with, I've been around since 2016, so I wasn't there in the beginning. I can't speak to, you know, everything that happened. But, you know, our, our founder um, and the brainchild of the National Black Worker Center is Dr. Stephen Pitts. Um, and so we owe him so much. And if you know Dr. Pitts, you know what a curious person he is and what a passionate person he is around um, Black people, Black workers, and building Black um, power in particular. And so my understanding is that he, you know, that curiosity led to him wanting to convene groups of Black leaders, be they in um, the community and social justice work and labor organizations and in worker centers to learn more about what they were doing, who they were, how they were organizing, that sort of thing. And it's through those convenings that, you know, the light bulb went off that there needs to be a national organization that holds and helps to create more Black worker centers. And I share with um, Stephen Pitts like, the belief that wherever there are majorities of Black workers, then we know that there is Black, um, anti-Black discrimination and racism that exists. And so a Black worker center is necessary and needed. And you know what, well, this is it's a very interesting, I think, formation. And I know that there are uh, several national black organizations, a coalition against black trade unions, but I don't know that I ever remember a specific 
formation dedicated to black workers centers because that that's a different kind of organizing and it's across unions it's across even uh organized workers because it's bringing in other community people and so what i also think i remember that there were some black worker centers already in formation when when the national formed so you all are up to maybe about a, almost a dozen centers now. So talk about how folks affiliate and how they need to grow based on being affiliated. And then, the, you know, you all also say if you want to join or you want to organize a worker center, we can show you how. So talk a little bit about those that are already in formation. And then what happens if you say, I want one of those centers here in my city? Sure. Before I delve into that, I want to touch on something that you you lifted up about the uniqueness of Black Worker Centers. Black Worker Centers are the only organization in this country that are solely dedicated to anti-Black discrimination and um, oppression in the workplace. And so what makes us different than the, um, you know, the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists or, or other organizations that you mentioned, even the labor movement, right, is that we don't shy away from from the reality that, you know, if you are Black and working in this country, you will experience some form of racism and discrimination. And we believe wholeheartedly that there must be training on how to deal with that. There must be mobilization so you can fight back against that oppression. And we know that nobody's come to save us, right? This is our work and we own that. And we recognize that when we are building power for Black workers, we build power for all workers because what happens in our community, all workers benefit from. So I couldn't just let that pass without okay. you know really being clear no about that. Problem. Right. And so you're right. Um, when when Stephen started convening the the um, the meetings about the Black Worker Centers, the Black Workers for for Justice were ex- um, already in existence. They um, were founded in 1981, I believe. They um, were founded in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and I would say were um, created their organization as a result of you know recognizing that the rights that unionized members had, that unionized workers have, um, they were not experiencing in the South. Um, And then also recognizing that that with the low union density in the South, that if they were going to build power for themselves, they were going to have to create their own institutions. And with that, they created um, worker committees that allowed people to, or them to to train each other and other uh, members on what their rights were, how to organize and build for power. And so now we are a network of nine local Black worker centers and nine incubating Black worker centers. Oh, wow. That's right. I didn't know about the incubation. Oh, wow. That's exciting. It's very exciting. Um, it's it's a tremendous amount of growth. The incubating centers are centers who are, are people who across the country who have decided that they want to form a Black Worker Center. And what we've done is created a training program, if you will, a 16-step training program that walks um, these individuals through the process of forming their own organizations and institutions. And so, you know, we've got incubating centers in Atlanta and in Miami, even in Portland, Oregon. And so we are really making um, 
or bringing to life Stephen's um, passion of making sure that there's a Black worker center wherever there's Black worker um, need. And so let me let me just start off with this, saying this. If you think back to your first job, what were you told to prepare you for that job? If I think back to my story, what my mother said to me was keep your mouth shut and your head down because she didn't want me to get fired, right? And other people would say, you know, I was told to be on time, to pay attention, things like that. We are taught how to be good employees for the employer. But who teaches you how to stand up for yourself when your employer is being disrespectful? Who teaches you how to stand up for your rights? That's right. It doesn't happen. Black worker centers do that. So we educate people and train them on what their rights are. Frequently, people may be experiencing racism and personalize that and think, oh, my boss just doesn't like me or I'm having a hard time or, you know, not even sure what to make out of it. You may go home and say to your best friend or, you know, your husband, your partner, whatever, you won't believe what this mofo did to me today or said to me today. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more than that, right? right, right and so right. we stand in that gap of helping people to, who recognize that something is going on wrong and helping them to to recognize that they're, it's not just in their head, it's not just happening to them, to educate them on what racism and discrimination looks like and to let them know, like, there's a solution. You don't have to suffer in silence. So I I think that part is incredibly important because when I have worked with unions and actually have have been in one, it wasn't until like maybe the last 10, 15 years that they really started like political education components to talk about what you just said, because workers were like, I'm floundering here. And yes, I can file a grievance. But the conditions here are affecting everybody. And what else can we do besides file a grievance? So just empower them in that way to know that there's a system in place that's making sure you get super exploited. And here's some tools that you can use to to make sure that you are victimized by your workplace. And, and I, you know, I just think that that's a piece that the worker centers provide that I don't see in other places. But also tell me, tell the listening audience about how the centers look, because they're all over the country that you got L.A., you got Chicago, you got New Orleans, of course, you got uh, uh, D.C. And I was privileged to be at the opening of the Black Workers Center for Wellness. And uh, yeah, so but these are in different locations. They have different material conditions that they're but I'm sure there must be some common threads or some core things that they're involved in. But talk about how they look from from center to center and actually how they choose what they're going to be about and what they're going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that's different about Black worker centers is that uh, different um, in terms of other worker centers is that Black worker centers don't focus on a particular industry, right? And so you may see that happening in other centers and definitely with um, with unions and organized labor. We focus specifically on, you'll hear me say this over and over again, on um, the conditions, working conditions that Black workers experience. And those began with racism and discrimination, anti-Black racism and anti-Black discrimination. And so that's the common thread that weaves through all of our um, local Black worker centers. And so 
The reason that our centers also look different is because we are not prescriptive. We don't say this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it, right? And you already know one size does not fit all. Exactly. The other thing that we know is that it is rare that Black people are uh, um, uh, allowed the freedom and the space, the safe space to define their own definition of power, their own definition of what success looks like for them. And so each of our Black worker centers um, based on the um, the outreach of the, that they do conduct with the community, they determine what their focus and what their priorities are going to be. And so the first step in organizing their centers is to talk to the community, to survey them, to find out what their working conditions look like, what their economic priorities are. And it's based on that response from the community that determines what the focus of the Black Worker Center is. The other thing that I would lift up about our centers is that they are member-led and member driven. And so, and by members, I mean the community, Black folks in the community, they decide what the priorities are. They decide the pathway for that center. And because Black people are not a monolith, Black workers are not a monolith, that looks different in, in every city and state that you go in. Right. Now, the, uh, but there also are various campaigns that you all have been involved in. And I would say that, you know, most of the centers are actually trying to to carry those out. But I'm on several of those, uh, their emails. And so I know how different they are. And uh, and I think the organic way that they operate, as you said, has to be member driven because, you, you know, your situation, you know, your community, you know uh, what the obstacles are, you know who your allies are. And those will be different from city to city. I'm wondering about the 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 ones you say are in incubation. Hmm. Are you finding that they're in a particular locale or they're in the South, you know, or are they all over? What is it looking like as the, as they emerge organically based on the conditions that are, are really oppressing them? Mm-hmm. So, um, if, if I look at the nine, I can't say that it's in one particular okay. region more so than an, another because there are so many other systemic things that are impacting the ways that we move about just being Black in, in our in our communities, right? So in, in Northern California, for example, they are... Um, we're, we're testing out building out a Black Worker Center hub that addresses gentrification, right? And so wow. we started with Oakland and then quickly had to deal with um, what hap- the question of what happens when Black people can no longer afford to live in their community? What happens when Black workers have to drive an hour to get to a job? Will they then drive back, you know, another hour to meet and whatnot? And so what we've had to do there is follow the work and follow the the, the workers. And um, Philadelphia and Philly, they are focusing on... Um, temp workers. And that is an issue that we are seeing all across the the country in terms of permanent temp employees, right? Working for a particular um, industry or uh, employer for two, four, five, six years and still being a temp, right? And also- With no benefits. With no benefits and being regulated to the hardest, most dangerous um, jobs, no benefits, as you mentioned, no training, working side by side with another person, right, who has more pay, seniority, all those things, all with the promise of 
one day you may become a full-time permanent um, employee. We um, also, I, I look at um, the center in Miami that is is forming in Miami Gardens, right? And so um, certainly the the population of, of Blacks of in Miami is low, um, but in Miami Gardens, I believe over 67% of that population is African-American. Um, one, um, a story that was shared with us by the folks that are organizing that working center was this one individual who over 20 times in one year had been pulled over by the police in his workplace for suspicious activity while he was working, either working inside of his workplace or around his workplace. So the harassment um, really speaks volumes to to why they've decided to form a a, a worker center. And I think that that I would say that that's true for all of our worker centers, um, and in particular, the um, the incubating centers, they're coming um, a, across the realization that you don't have to take it, that there's something that we can do, that we can build community, we can mobilize ourselves to, to fight back against the oppression that we're seeing is what I would say is taking place. And because um, power is what it is and racism what it is, especially in this karmic climate and current climate of anti-affirmative action, it's covering everybody, you know, from the north to the south to the east to the west. So you cannot escape it. And you made me think about the climate that we're in. And as a community organizer myself, I think about, I feel, and I'm using my feel, mm-hmm. I feel like it is a challenge organizing workers just because of what you just said. There's so much on them. The The whole survival thing is, is grueling now. I mean, just no livable wages, no uh, guaranteed uh, you know, housing. And you talked about gentrification where people are being pushed out of neighborhoods that they've been in for a while, pushed out of family homes. Like, where is it? that folks got time to organize themselves. And, and, and the other part of that, Tanya, is part of the organizing we have to do is to destroy those preconceived notions that have been in their heads from birth actually intergenerational, uh, to say that you and only you are going to map this out and you could do it with other people who feel and and, and want to act in the same way. So for the Worker Center, what kind of tactics are they using to bring people in, to to make it safe, to, to create uh, some flexibility? Because everybody's not you know, like you said, nine to five, where you're going to have a meeting at, you know, seven. Well, some people, that's their shift. So so those are some of the obstacles that I see and challenges that I see as we're organizing workers who part-time, some of them got two and three little, as I said, pissy jobs. Mm-hmm. Try, you know, where, how do we organize? How are you all organizing workers in that in that kind of climate? Jamal, you cannot drop all those nuggets and then think I'm not going to say nothing about it now and then just want to get to that question. Look, we got to go back. So when you said, you know, you feel, I want to just clarify for everybody who's listening, right? If you feel it, it's real. It's not just something that's in your mind. It is something real. The other thing that you talked about is this disconnect 
on what people deserve. And the narrative, the false narrative that we've been told in this country, and it's not just for Black workers, but for all workers, and especially for low-wage individuals and immigrants and people of color and women, is that certain people are more deserving than others. And if you work a certain job, if you are in retail or if you are in fast food, if you are in anything that is an hourly wage, if you are a domestic worker, you are not deserving of quality wages. You are not deserving of time with your family. If you don't have a degree or something like that, right, you are not deserving. And that's some BS, right? If you are a human, you are deserving. And that's the false narrative, that brainwashing that we've got to push back on and undo with so many people. We have this whole... um, If we um, are not paying people decent wages, right, that requires them to work two and three jobs, then guess what? If my child is in an inferior school, I don't have time to go to the school board to speak, become part of the PTA, to even complain. I'm just hoping that somebody is looking after my child. And then let's talk about like um, if we have people working so many hours when it's election time, when will they vote? Let's make sure they don't vote. Let's get rid of souls to the polls. Let's close down all the voting areas in our communities. Voting, early let's, voting, let's, all of let's that. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's. We even see attacks, right or not attacks, the dismantling of the right to to um, to mobilize to peaceful demonstrations. All of this is designed to do what? To keep us silent, to keep us disorganized, to keep us confused, and to keep us just working for somebody else so much so that the only thing that we can focus on is just survival.
Mm-hmm. And there is more to life than survival. Yeah. And, that's and, part and of that political education. Exactly. That's the political education that's for right. sure. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's just so empowering because I just see workers just like don't even have a clue, nor are they believing that there's an alternative. Like there's there's life beyond what they have here uh, in front of them. And, uh, and oftentimes I have to talk about like, what organized struggle has done, you know, if, if, it, if it wasn't for organized struggle, you would, you wouldn't have like a 40 day work week, even though now we're trying to get it down to 32 where we could have uh, some longevity <laughs> in, in our, in our families, in our lives. But, you know, it's uh, to me, it's, it's the increase of that kind of repression and that kind of oppression on workers is escalating and, uh, and we have to have some relief for them. And we, those centers are really the place, the safe places where they can go just to say, I just need to, I need to get away. I need, you know, so there, they are some, some spaces that we need to, to uplift and hold. But I'm thinking about also, you know, this is about black workers. That's why it's called National Black Workers Center. But there are times when black workers are in conflict with white workers who who may not also be as empowered as they need to be. And in some cases, this escalates to violence. Uh, and, you know, black workers have, you know, as, as if they didn't have enough on their plate to think about, now they have to think about, um, you know, being attacked on the job because somebody just listened to Donald Trump or, or you know, like the dock worker who was attacked when he said, can you move your, you know, these are real situations that black workers who are only trying to do their damn job, trying to make a paycheck to take care of their families. They have this on top of all of that. How are you all dealing with that? I know in in DC, they added the black workers center and the wellness part, but there's gotta be that healing piece, that wellness piece that's associated with a worker center, right? That's right. Yes. Um, And so it looks different in in different parts of the country. But I can say that um, I believe all of the the local black worker centers um, recognize the necessity of giving people time and space to heal, to breathe, to process what is going with them. During um, the pandemic is when we first took note of the increase of um, violence against workers. And that that continues today, right? But it began um, in terms of our, our recognizing it or taking note of it, right? When um, Black workers were trying to enforce mandates to wear masks and there was no support for them and enforcing these government policies, right? And so that led to us at the National Black Worker Center training people on how to have, one, how to organize your co-workers so that you in unison can go to your employer and, and demand you know, some support here to ask the questions on what does it, what, what type of protection will I receive? What type of training will you provide? What will be the process if someone is yelling or getting verbally um, um, assaulting me or even getting physically, um, physical um, assaulting me or looking like they're about to, to intimidate in some type of way and putting that onus back on the employer so that they can jointly come up with some um, solutions and some protocols. It also caused us to really 
really look closer at OSHA. And when we talk about workplace safety, that's got to be more than trips, slips, and falls, right? It's got to also talk about the protection that we provide um, workers who are, are verbally harassed, um, who are sexually harassed, who are violently attacked in the workplace. Wow. And, that, and that's that's a huge piece right now for us, particularly in terms of maintaining our, our sanity and our mental health. Uh, but you all also have a number of campaigns. You have Working While Black, which for a lot of us, that's every day, <laughs> every day thing. And, you know, for the last, what, six, seven years, you've been doing the Black Labor Day. So tell listeners about those two. And then I want you to also talk about the Black Workers Bill of Rights, because I think all three of these campaigns are organic. They sort of emerged out of the struggles that were happening. And uh, now they've been institutionalized uh, by the National Black Workers Center. So uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so the Working While Black initiative actually came out of a listening tour that um, we I started back in 2016 when I came on as executive director of the National Black Workers Center. I went out to visit the, the local Black worker centers in their communities. And I was struck by how many people were embarrassed to talk about the racism and discrimination that they were facing. And so I realized that we've got to change that because I know that in telling stories that people will start to recognize their circumstance and someone else's story. And once they recognize that, then it's like a light bulb goes on and they're like, wait a second, if this is happening to all of us, then it's a problem and something needs to happen um, as a result of that. I wanted to share a really quick story about um, one of um, the initial successes that we saw out of um, um, Working While Black. And it um, was in um, New Orleans with Stand With Dignity, which is um, a, um, a Black worker center there, they decided to have um, working while Black evenings. And it was on Thursday nights. They opened up the center, had pizza, child care, and just had people invited the community to come in and sit in a circle and tell their working while Black story, what happened and what happened to them at work. And it was through that storytelling that they started to see connections. And the connections were how often people were getting pulled over by the police and getting ticketed and fined on their way to work. And the other connection was the number of fines that they were accumulating, how many people whose licenses had been suspended. And as a result of that, they were then regulated to just the work that was in their immediate location. And if you've been in New Orleans, you know, public transportation is pretty much non-existent. So mm -hmm. if you don't have a car, that means you don't have access to a higher paying job. Long story short, what they decided to do is to hold um, a, um, a traffic clinic where they were expecting, you know, maybe 25, 30 people to come. Hundreds of people wow. came, which then grew into thousands of people. Wow. coming. They partnered with um, law school students. They partnered with judges. They were able to get fines that were thousands of dollars um, reduced to hundreds of dollars or just cleared totally um, immediately. That Those traffic clinics have now... Um, been transformed. Well, one, they started in New Orleans, then it spread to other parishes, and then the traffic clinics have now moved into municipal um, clinics and campaigns that they're doing because they then were able to then look at the fuller system of how the system oppresses um, Black people 
trying to get back and forth to work. And so that's uh, when I think it's just a story that I love to lift up about the power of sharing our, our experiences. And once we realize, once we come in community with one another, once we realize that this is not by happenstance, that this is by design, then people get pissed off and they get ready to fight. The other part about that, Tanya, is that it also affirms what happens when workers organize and that there's a history to the reforms that people see. Because sometimes folks say, oh, you know, this is happening in our workplace because, you know, at a certain point, our employer felt like this was a good thing to do. Uh-uh. None of this stuff happens because they see the light of day. This is almost always worker driven to create a better uh, and safer workspace. And this is certainly an example of that. They would have never had come up with a, a clinic for traffic tickets. It's only because workers themselves said enough is enough. We're going to do something about that. And who can help us with this? Where are our allies in this? And then that's when you often see the institutionalization either by government or some other kind of nonprofit. I mean, it reminds me like when the the, uh, Black Panther Party were doing the breakfast programs. People don't know that's how we got breakfast programs in the schools, you know. And so, so these are things that are definitely driven by the community, by workers, and they don't fall out the sky. And, you know, you're not going to get it because you think that you're going to shame these people. They are beyond shame. You have to bring some power and some strategy and tactics to the fore before they realize, okay, these folks are not going away. They seem like they organize. And so let's see what the, the least that we can give them. So, you know, to me, it is a beautiful story that you should continue lifting up because I think it's just one of the success stories of how organized you know, workers can get some some victories. Yes. And so I, let me, uh, I'll also share then that um, as a result of the um, Working While Black, all of the local Black worker centers have a Working While Black component. And we have created the Working While Black Expo, which will be coming um, in Chicago in 2024. And it will allow, you know, people who are not affiliated with the Black Worker Center to get that experience. And so I can share a little bit more about that later on. Um, and then you talked about Black Labor Day. Um, black Labor Day is Labor Day for Black people. And we know that, you know, we know about the how the contributions that Black people have made to build this country are rarely lifted up and celebrated. When you think about Labor Day, very rarely do people lift up Black workers. And so we use Black Labor Day or Labor Day, the first Monday of, of, of September, to, to lift up and um, to support, to applaud the the um, the situations, the the challenges, the struggles of Black workers to say, we see you, we appreciate you, we value you, we love you, and to further educate our community and the public um, at large on, you know, what are the challenges, what are the successes that we are having when we organize uh, and mobilize. I think one of the things that I love about Black Labor Day is because now there's technology that allows us to visit the various workers center and bring their stories and bring their people in. And it's really just a celebratory time. So uh, if people you got to wait now almost another year. But I mean, you know, you missed it if you didn't weren't on there, but you got another chance for next year. And it is an awesome space to be in. 
and uh, it's growing, you know, and, and it, it differs every every year, but it really is a place that acknowledges, you know, our history as workers and even our history sometimes in specific workplaces where we were able to do things that folks didn't, hadn't even heard about, you know, because they don't write about that in our history books. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Black Workers' Bill of Rights, like, why do we need to have that as if we didn't know? <laughs> But talk about that. Okay, so no matter how strong the economy, Black workers are always disproportionately unemployed and in low-wage jobs. Across the nation, 38% of Black workers receive low wages. And we would say it's because of a lack of power that allows these outcomes to occur. And so when we looked at several critical happenings um, that took place recently in our history, starting with the COVID-19 pandemic, then moving towards the 2020 um, summer uprisings and and protests. Then we saw um, and continue to see the rollbacks of voting rights and legislation, the um, anti-immigration policies, and most recently, right, the uh, anti-affirmative action attacks. All of those signal to us, right, that the fight to end anti-Blackness, the fight to end white supremacy and structural racism, this is our civil rights 2.0. And so the Black Bill of Rights is a tool. It's more than just a document. It's a tool that outlines the rights, the protections, the services, and the accommodations that are yet Um, to be affirmed, asserted, and so terribly needed by Black workers in the workplace, right? And so that's protection against employers' unlawful and exploitative practices, discrimination, violence, the things that we've been talking about, right? And other harmful actions that um, Black workers consistently encounter in the workplace. The other thing that the Black Worker Bill of Rights does is it offers an accountability measure for employers and, and our government. I want to just roll through um, what the what the rights are. There are ten rights that we're lifting up, which is the right to organize, the right to resources and information that address barriers to employment, the right to assert and have your rights enforced, the right to equitable wages, to equal pay, and compensation that's owed the right to career advancement and opportunities, the right to workplaces free from discrimination, harassment, and other harm, the right to health, healing, and rest. We were just talking about that. The right to privacy and freedom from surveillance, monitoring, automated management and control, the right to dignity and seeking, securing, maintaining, and retiring from employment, and the right to participate in democracy. And I think that when people hear those rights, they sound so basic, but the sad thing is, these are rights that we don't even have, right? Mm. And these are things that we have decided that we needed to to call out that they don't exist and to create support and tools around so that we can counteract the undervaluing and mistreatment of Black workers. We believe that it is important to explicitly state and affirm our rights, the protections and accommodations, and the services that we need that uplift our humanity in this country. You know, do you write when you say that it, they sound basic, but very rarely are they enforced or acknowledged? Yes. And I have to even remind people 
that that first one, the right to organize, is part of the Universal Declaration for Human Rights. That means all across the world, wherever you are as a worker, you have the right to organize. And right here in this country, the land of democracy, we have problems with that. Giving, giving workers the right to organize. You know, these folks are and, uh, union busting. They, you know, uh, retaliating against workers who are trying to organize. So we can clearly say that we are not just in violation of the Black Workers' Bill of Rights. We are in violation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So this is this is serious business. I know one one of the questions, I know we are getting close to the end of our time together, Tanya, but... I'm just thinking about the the relationship that the Worker Center have with unions. Is it basically one of solidarity or are there sometimes tension because they might think that you all are trying to take their space or, or whatever? And I know unions have their own um, house cleaning that they need to do, and some of them have been doing that. I mean, the UAW sent some of their leadership to, to jail. Um, but, you know, that opens up space, that opens up possibilities, that opens up new relationships. What has been you all's relationship with organized labor? Mm-hmm. You know, um, similar to black workers, organized labor is not a monolith also. So we can't just put it in, in one bucket. And I, I, I'll be the first to say that it also depends on what the what the union is that we're interacting with, um, who the leadership is of that union, and what part of the country we're talking about, right? So, and we've got some strong relationships with with some of our union partners. SEIU has been a strong partner. Um, the Painters Union, the Carpenters um, Union, uh, have been very strong um, partners. And what determines that strong partnership is the union's willingness to acknowledge where there is work to be done on mending relationships and past transgressions with as it pertains to Black workers. One of the things that I find, um, I found really interesting when I started with the Black Worker Center, we were doing, um, and I wanted to do an assessment of our members and where they came from. And early on, one of the things that was striking to us was that the over half of our membership are union members. Mm-hmm. Our, our goal is that our members, the, the low-wage focus workers that we serve, that they become union members. And we are very intentional about that because we recognize that union membership is still a foundational way for Black people, Black workers, to gain entree to middle-class society. It is. It means that they will have um, health care benefits. It means that they have pensions. It means that they can send their kids to school, that they can buy a house. We, we are very clear on that. And so it was surprising to me to see so many union members come and want to become members of a Black Worker Center. And the reason that they stated that they sought that membership is because their union was unwilling to deal with the race issue. And so that's part of what makes a successful race, uh, relationship between a Black Worker Center and an organized labor you got to call a spade a spade. And if you're not willing to have that conversation, if you're not willing to be truthful, if you're not willing to resolve those issues, then we don't have anywhere to begin. And so there's work that needs to happen um, on the labor movement side to to reconcile that. As you said, um, we are hopeful because there have been a lot of changes in leadership and the labor movement is still a little too 
male stale and pale for me so we got work to um to map more work that needs to happen there but but there has been some movement and we at the national black worker center local black worker centers are always open to collaborating and working with unions because we recognize the, and, and understand the power of organized labor we support um unions in their efforts um uh, we certainly are supportive of the strike that's going on with the auto workers now and one of the main reasons is when you look at the automobile industry, historically, it has had, and I can't think of the number right now, but the, the percentage of Black workers in the automobile industry outweighs the percentage of Black workers in any industry in this country. So we know what that means. We also, when we look at Biden's infrastructure bill and we look at things like the electronic um, batteries, the, the electric batteries that will be built for these cars and the new jobs that are coming down the pike that are affiliated with jobs, those are Black people who are going to get those jobs. And so we want to make sure that those are union jobs that are happening also. And so we are very supportive of, of organizing efforts, especially when it pertains to ensuring that those who are in the communities have the access to those jobs and have access to quality wages and benefits. And I really appreciate, Tanya, the way that you strategically talk about those relationships. And I'm thinking for myself, and I'm saying for Jamala Rogers, if I had an hour that to spare and I was a union member, I probably would go to a Black Worker Center because mm. that's where my soul is going to be fed. That's where I'm going to be affirmed. That's where I'm going to be in in community with other people who feel the same way. So that that's why I felt like there might be some tension somewhere because they're trying to get me to come to the union meeting. And I'm like, Y'all full of stuff at that union meeting because you're not dealing with my issue. I'm going over here to the Black Worker Center. So I think that there is a a, a convergence, a nexus as how they we can work together. And as you said, some of us are part of both. And so and so we have to figure out our way to build empower for for Black workers wherever they are. That's the deal. That's the deal. Wow, I've had such an amazing conversation with. Tanya Wallace-Goburn, she's the executive director of the National Black Workers Centers. And if you all want to know more about her, all you have to do is Google National Black Workers Center and their website is going to come up and you will find out more about them. So I want to say thanks to Tanya for joining me today. And, you know, let you know that Black Work Talk is published by Convergence, a magazine for radical insights. And if you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do so if you want to catch future episodes when they drop. You can support this show by becoming a monthly patron for as low as $5 a month. You can't beat that. That's that's almost a steal. That's almost like free. That's a beer, y'all. Okay? That, that's a, a latte at the... Uh, at Starbucks, uh, it sure is. At Starbucks, yeah. So, so we we want to say uh, up upwards to Black workers, forward for Black workers, and for the centers who seem to be multiplying, and that is such a uh, an encouraging thing to hear. And we'll, when we bring you back, we want to hear about how some of those incubators are doing. It did they become full fledged uh, adult? Uh, <laughs> centers and uh, how we can support them and how do we look for one in our area uh, and where we want to start so uh, again thank you our executive producer is Black Work Talk at Black Work Talk is uh, Zamara Corbino and Josh Elstro 
And I am Jamala Rogers, your host for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Jamala, for having me. And thank you for um, continuing this phenomenal platform for Black workers. We love Black Work Talk, and we hope to lift you up whenever we're able to. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Have a great day. Thank you.